My name is John Blatt, and I am the pastor of students and outreach here at Iron City. And so our pastor, yet, yet again, uh, for those of y'all that missed the first half, we are, uh, our pastor is on vacation this week, and so he is getting rest and uh, ready to go with all the questions and all the concerns and all the uh, stuff that Andrew and I have done while he's away to his office. I'm just kidding. Um, no, so, uh, but thank you so much for being here um, for those of you all that have missed the past couple of weeks, you have, would have missed the entire book of Titus. No worries. I'm going to refresh you all this morning. Um, but I want to do something that um, I believe I've never done. I've actually done it now because I did it in the first service. But I've never read an entire book before um, while preaching. The reason why I, I would like to do this is because when I was doing my studies, uh, I, I would read and I found out that when the churches received these letters, that they would actually read them out loud uh, for the congregation and then move it on and pass it on to the next church, the next church. And so that was almost like it was a special time for them to receive a letter from Paul or from one of the disciples and, and to be able to read that out loud. And so I'm going to do that today. I'm going to read the entire book of Titus. Now, uh, I messed up and actually went into Second Timothy for some reason. Uh, I didn't do that all while I was uh, reading it or practicing it, so uh, maybe that's different. But um, I'm going to be reading, and I'd normally be reading out of an ESV, and that's what we preach out of here. Uh, some of them, uh, that's what I preach out of anyways. Um, but I, I want to read out of something that's not the ESV. It's actually the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Um, and this is, this is that Bible. Now, this may not mean or be special to y'all by any means, but let me tell you the reason why I want to read it out of this Bible. This was given to me by a, uh, a man that was a part of our church who uh, served this church well. Uh, he actually passed away several years ago. And um, he gave me this Bible as a graduation present. I actually um, have this Bible on top of my actual preaching Bible. Some, somewhere where I can see at all times from my desk when I'm studying. And so uh, this Bible reminds me of him. I, you know, I, got to, I got to work alongside this guy for uh, several years. And um, I've seen him on his good days. I've seen him on his bad days. I've seen him when he's been mad. Most of the time because he was mad at me. Um, I don't know if any of y'all have ever laid like hardwood floors. Um, but you mess those things up, it'll mess the whole floor up, Right. And so, you know, it's, it's pretty tough work, and it's, you know, you're all down low all the time. And so sometimes things get messed up, and so I happen to mess that up. Well, um, I would always get like a tongue lashing. I mean, like he wasn't like a mean guy. He wasn't a mean boss. And uh, he would always come back after the tongue lashing, and he would always ask me this question. And he would apologize, which he shouldn't have to apologize. I was stupid, right? Um, but... He, uh, he said, you know, John, uh, I'm sorry I yelled at you. Are, are, are you still my brother in Christ? And, and I would always, I always say that that will never change. You know, that man's name was Donnie Ashley. Uh, and he was a great man, and I miss him. Uh, I miss him a lot. Um, and so, but I want to read out of this Bible, from this Bible this morning. Uh, it's not long. It's going to take about five minutes. So a normal song that Andrew just sang, uh, it's going to take just that long. So if you're able to... Uh, and you're uh, willing, would you please stand for the honor of uh, reading of God's word together? And uh, we'll dive right in. 
Paul, a slave of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness and the hope of eternal life that God, who cannot lie, promised before time again. And he has in his own time revealed his message in the proclamation that I was entrusted with by the command of God, our Savior, to Titus, my true child in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. The reason I left you in Cretan, Crete was to set right what was left undone. And as I directed you to appoint elders in every town, someone who is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children not accused of wildness or rebellion, for an overseer as God's manager must be blameless, not arrogant, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding to the faithful messages taught so that he will be able both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. For there are also many rebellious people, idle talkers, idle talkers, deceivers, especially uh, those from Judaism. That's talking about the circumcised party there. It is necessary to silence them. They overthrow whole households by teaching for dishonest gain what they should not. One of their very own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. So rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in their faith and may not pay attention to Jewish myths and the commandments of men who reject the truth. To to the pure, everything is pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and, and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him with their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and disqualified for any good works. But you must speak what is constant and with sound teaching. Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible and sound in faith, love and endurance. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not addicted to much wine. They are to teach what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and children, to be sensible, pure, good homemakers, and submissive to their husbands so that God's message will not be slandered. Likewise, encourage the young men to be sensible about everything. Set an example of good works yourselves with integrity and dignity in your teaching. Your message is to be sound beyond reproach so that the opponent will be ashamed, having nothing bad to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their masters in everything and to to be well-pleasing, not talking back or stealing, but demonstrating utter faithfulness so that they may adorn the teaching of God our Savior in everything. For the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lust and to live in sensible, righteous, righteous and godly way in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a special people eager to do good works. Say these things and encourage and rebuke with all authority. Let no one dis- discard you, disregard you. Sorry about that. Remi- verse 3, chapter 3, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, to avoid fighting, and to be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, but captives of various passions and pleasures, uh, living in malice and envy, hateful, dis- detesting one another. But when the goodness of love for man appeared 
from God, our Savior. He saved us. Not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercies. Through the washing and the regeneration and renewal of the Holy, by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a divisive person after first and second warning, knowing that such a person is perverted and sins, being self-condemned. When I send Artemis to you, or Tychicus, Make every effort to come to me in Acopolis, for I have decided to spend the winters there. Diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey so that they will lack nothing. And our people must also learn to devote themselves to good works for the case of urgent need so that they will not be unfruitful. All those who are with me, greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word. You know, it's always... It's always exciting to me uh, to hear from our elders, and I really do look forward to it each and every year. I, I love these men that preach and teach, and uh, it's something that I believe that as our church it's important to hear from our elders. Um, these are men already preaching and teaching uh, the word each and every each and every week through uh, during connection time, and so hopefully soon we'll be able to go back to that and uh, be able to meet in classes as well. But as we wrap up our elder series, I would like to continue where Alan left off last week with 1 through 7. So his message was remind them to, my title of the message is remind them to dot, 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 part two. So this is a continuation of last week's message. And if you missed last week, let me encourage you to go back and listen to it. Uh, you will find all of our sermons on ironcity.org. Uh, but let's pick up. In verse 8. Verse 8, the saying is trustworthy. What all Alan has preached on last week, this saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. The first thing that we see is we must devote ourselves to good works. And right now, there are many of you guys and are like, oh my goodness, John's about to preach a moralistic sermon. That's not what I'm about to preach at all. You're totally fine. I'm actually going to talk about church discipline, which is way off the whole good works things, right? So, um, but, we, but the, the scriptures right here tell us that we must devote ourselves to good works. So let me, let me explain. So Paul here in verse 8 is reaffirming all that he has just said in the letter to Titus. Now that they understand the richness of God's mercy towards them, his expectation is to, uh, for that those in the grace will be careful to devote themselves to good works. You see, Works can be many things. Works can be many things. It, it can be uh, you meeting the need of the church or meeting someone's need outside of the church. Either way. Um, but right now, there are people uh, in this church that I have to commend, I have to brag on for a second. All right? So uh, they, these are people that are, that are working on top of their normal hours, and I just want to bring them to light a little bit. Um, our Connect teams have not stopped serving since all this started. That, that's our security teams, that's our host team, that's our accounting team, that's our uh, 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 connect, that's, all, that's one big team, we call that our connect team. 
And they have not stopped serving since we've been meeting back here in the church. And so I have to brag on them. They, they're doing a fantastic job. They're cleaning the facility after each service. They're helping keep everything safe and secure. And so these people, I, like, thank you so much for what you do. Um, there are people a lot of times that are up here painting the classrooms uh, upstairs, uh, getting it ready for when we do come back to meet together, that you will have a fresh class to come to uh, and new classes to start from. So thank you so much for doing that. Our children's ministry ladies, right, right now are cleaning and redoing the rooms so that your child will have uh, new toys and new exciting ways for them to come and to learn the Bible. They're doing all that on top of their work week. I, I see them up here all the time on Saturdays and throughout the day. And so uh, thank you, ladies, for all that you're doing. All these things are wonderful. And we're, we're, I'm, our church is so happy to have you guys that serve. But there's something that God has called us all to do on top of serving, on top of serving. And that thing is, one of the most important things that we can do as Christians is to share the good news. It's to share the good news. Not only to share it, but to declare the good news. We must declare the good news that God has entrusted us. We declare it, we say it, we don't hold it back, right? The most ultimate good work there is, is telling people the word of life. It's the only message of hope that they have. It's the only message of hope that, they, that will save them from the wrath of God and the judgment that they deserve. The most essential way to live out our new life in God, among all these other valid ways, I'm not downplaying those at all, but we are to declare the good news to others. The main thing that Paul has been unpacking in this letter and other letters is the indispensable message of the Christian life. So we are not, uh, we are, uh, not called to merely be super nice people who keep the gospel to ourselves. We are called to love our neighbor and even our enemies, and we're not loving them if we hold back the only message of truth that they have to save them. By definition, we are a good news and it's for all the world. We just read that. It's for all the world. It's for the unreached in Africa and Mexico. It is for the unreached in Utah. It is for those who are in the jails and the detention centers. It is for the nations that you have never seen and for the neighbor that you can't stand. We can't be super nice people and stay silent about the gospel. It's not what God has called us to. We can't go the other way either by saying, I'm just going to tell them what they don't want to hear, whether they like it or not, and, and be rude and arrogant. There, is, there, there are a few things that are more uglier than a vocal Christian that is rude and unloving. Do you hear me? There are a few things that are more uglier than a vocal Christian that is rude and unloving. Nobody likes to be around that person. Don't be that person, right? The gospel is news. It's, it's truth and beauty. It's a message that has a tone that when it's spoken, that, that should be one of loving and caring, right? When, when, when you share the gospel in a hard way, uh, in a harsh way to non-believers, it's like, it's like the wedding singer at the reception singing Love Stinks. Thank you for the ones that got that joke. The 8 o'clock service did not get that at all. 
but it's totally contradictory to what the gospel teaches. It's totally contradictory to what the gospel teaches. Look, look at me with verse 9. Uh, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Church family, we can't allow foolishness to take priority over the gospel. We can't allow foolishness to take priority over the gospel. Paul now must make it clear that no other priorities should creep into our ministries. He tells Titus to avoid divisive issues and divisive people who talk about foolish controversies, right? Whereas the doctrines and duties of grace are excellent and profitable, these matters are unprofitable and worthless because those who engage in such debates distract the church from its mission and purpose, upsetting whole families, right? I don't know if you know this or not, but we are in an election year here in America. And so you might see a couple of things online from time to time. Uh, it, it, and, and hear me out, church. It's okay to call sin, sin. It's okay to call sin, sin and say, here is where, what the Bible teaches and, uh, about that. And here is where this platform or this candidate doesn't line up. It's okay. But there's a way to do that that doesn't trash or demean that person. We have to be humbly go, go, humble. Go, going back to what Alan preached last week, they are image bearers and were created by God. May we treat them the way that God treated us, which included, which included pointing out our sin and calling us to repentance, all right? But we can do that in love. We can do that in love. We, myself included, myself included, Struggle, struggle with these commands to avoid dissension. Because we know that there's things worth disputing, right? And because it seems divisive to separate from a divisive a people, it makes us want to stay and fight. Or at least it makes me want to. Right? I, I believe that sometimes, I believe that sometimes it's worth it. Sometimes, sometimes, not all the time. All right. So Paul sets up two perspectives here. So first, Paul is speaking about ministry priorities. All right. His words require us to examine whether controversy and argument are about secondary issues become primary concerns in our ministry. If so, then our priorities require realignment. Second, there is a difference between needing to divide and loving to divide. A divisive person loves to fight. And we all know that. We have that one person in our head right now. Man, that guy is a pot stirrer. That woman, she just likes to You know what I'm saying? We are, right now, I am saying what, what you're thinking. I know. I know. I'm preaching to myself here. But we should be a person of peace, people of peace, a person who loves the peace and purity of the church. May, uh, we may be forced into division, but let that not be our character. Right? When we are forced to argue, may we remain fair, truthful, and loving in our response. May we grieve to have to disagree with, with someone else. Those who are divisive by nature love being able to conquer another person. Let's not be those people. 
For them, victory means everything. And so in an argument, they will twist words. They will call names, threaten, manipulate, and attempt to extend the debate as long as possible and on as many fronts as possible. Let us not be these people. Paul's words caution us about the seriousness of being divisive. As entertaining as it might be, it damages the church and should be avoided unless absolutely necessary. These are not easy words. I keep preaching to myself here. These are not easy words for those who enjoy debates or voicing our views. I must confess that there are times where I will type something out several times. Holly knows she's here. She will like say the amen to that because I'll show her, hey, should I say this? And she said no. So anyway, so, um, uh, but there are times when I will type something out on someone else's comment or post only to delete it before posting it. It eats me alive sometimes. I'm like, no, this is wrong. This is wrong. But knowing in the back of my head, if I post this thing, all it's going to do is cause more division. All it's going to do. I discovered quite soon when I became one of your elders that, that I'm responsible for the spiritual well-being of others. And, and it's not healthy for the church, and it's, nor is it good a good way for me to grow others in Christ. Church, at times we must fight. But if we love the fight, we must question if we're following God's priorities. Do we really want to devote our lives to quarreling, criticism, and argument? 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 25 tells us that a man of God does not strive for these things. In Titus, that we just read that we should be by nature peaceable and gentle people. Titus 1, 7, Titus 2, 1, Titus 3, 2. Church family, we must take a stand and fight for what is right, but we must not love to fight. We must show grace in every aspect of our ministry and to others. If we're going to be good to the world, if we're going to be profitable for the world, we need to declare the gospel with our words and display it with our lives. We can't do this if we're too busy on unprofitable things. Paul continues here to tell us what is not profitable for people, and that is straying from gospel truth and gospel love. Verse 10, Paul tells Titus to warn a person who stirs up division up to two times and after that have nothing more to do with him. In this compressed way, Paul reminds us both our biblical process and the necessity of church discipline. We must discipline to protect the church and to help that person come back to God. The goal of discipline is not only protection of the church, but also to turn the divisive person from their sin. The seriousness of this is evident in Paul's word. Such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. There's a church, I'm pretty sure that uh, there are many more like this out there, but there's a church that is, that, is, that is growing, is thriving, has many members teaching and preaching. But the way that they handle church discipline is that they would, if anyone is under church discipline, they would let the church know about it on Sunday morning by putting that person or that family on the screen. <laughs> Can you imagine that here at Iron City? We would be hated. I'm not, listen, listen, time out here. I'm not, I, I, I don't want you to hear me say that's wrong. 
Because I, I believe that we should be, that, that, that may be something we need to be working to. Actually, that is something that we should be working to. Church discipline is, is, is hard. It's difficult. And it's not, it's not something that, that we enjoy doing. But can you imagine? Church, this is one of the most difficult things that as one of your elders we have to do. The meetings, the phone calls, and the letters where we plead with them to come back to God. I wish that I could tell you that it worked out and that they're still here. And that they have repented from their sin. Some have. Majority have not. But if we were to include, I mean, like, that's tough. But it's, it's commanded. <laughs> have nothing more to do with them, right? We plead with them to come back to God. That the way that they're living their life is not that uh, uh, one that a Christian should live. Only for the majority of the people that we have these conversations with to walk away thinking and sometimes telling others that we hated them or mistreated them in the process. And church family, it hurts. Like it hurts when you discipline your child. You don't do it because you, you, you love to discipline. You do it because you love them and you don't want them to experience future hurt or think that something is okay when it's not. We are living in a society right now where right is wrong and wrong is right. And I believe that this pattern will continue until people wake up and rise up and start standing together for what is right and what is biblical. John Dack says, when discipline leaves a church, Christ goes with it. Jonathan Lehman says, a shepherd that won't fend off the wolves will soon find his sheep consumed. Everything in our culture rages against any idea of correction or exclusion because it feels intolerant. Right? But Christ means for his church to be trained, exercised, and disciplined so that they will share in his holiness. Church family, as one of your elders, know that we don't do this out of hate, but of love. We want you to be in fellowship with the church. We, and so our, our other elders will tell you that this is not easy to do at all. You know why? Because we are imperfect people teaching other imperfect people to strive for perfection. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, nothing can be more cruel than that leniency which abandons others to sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the, that severe reprimand which calls another Christian in one's community back from the path of sin. Church, vigilance and steadfastness are required. But we have to keep Galatians 6, 1 and 2 in our mind as well. Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritually sound should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted, carrying one another's burdens, and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Mark Dever gives five reasons why you should practice church discipline. It is for the good of the person disciplined, for the good of the other Christians as they see the dangers of sin, for the health of the church as a whole, for the corporate witness of the church, for the glory of God as we reflect his holiness. Ultimately, we must practice church discipline and submission 
to the Word of God. Church discipline is not unloving. It is loving. Church discipline is not unloving. It is loving. It shows the seriousness of believing the gospel and it is protecting the flock. You know, we warn them once and then again, but if they keep on trying to divide the church on the lies of the enemy, be done with them. Why? Because, because too much is at stake. We, we've got a beautiful God-given life to live for the glory of God. And we're not here to be in some endless debate club where anyone with any false teaching can stay forever and keep arguing and diverting Christians from our mission. That's not what the church is or called to do. You know, it's interesting that Paul says that a per, such a person is self-condemned. It doesn't say God-condemned, right? Rather, he becomes self-condemned. He, he cuts himself off from his only hope of grace. It opens up a whole other can of worms, the lie that we hear all the time, the devil made me do it, right? That's what, no, the devil didn't make you do it. That's what sin did. You did it. Sin is destructive. Daniel Atkins says it damages and destroys. What it can do to a community of believers is serious. What it does to the sinner enslaved by his addiction is tragic. In action and attitude, the sinner is without excuse, passing judgment on himself. Oh, he may not see it, for he is warped, twisted, and self-deceived. He may even attempt to use scriptures to justify his sin. He may even attempt to use, uh, often he will claim uh, the leading of the Spirit and sometimes even the providence of God. Wow. There are times when he even may say, my head tells me it was wrong, but my heart tells me it was never more right. May I not be that person. God, church, family, help me not be this person. We must not allow divisive people to keep diverting us away from what God has called us to do. We must not allow divisive people to keep diverting us away from what God has called us to do. And so we, uh, so as one of your elders, know that we love you, but we will not allow this. We will not allow people to continue to cause division in the church. We have to let them go and be done with them for the sake of the gospel. So we're going, to keep, we're going to keep focused on living out the gospel by declaring to others the good news that we have been entrusted with to us. And we are going to uh, continue to seek to live out in love and good works so as to help cases of urgent needs and to not be fruit, unfruitful. Paul continues his letter with a little more instruction. When I send Artemis or Tychicus, I always mess up that word, by the way. I can't get it. So Andrew and I, we're going to keep on going. Tachychus, Tachychus, there we go. To you, do your best to come to me in Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. So one of these guys are probably bringing the letter to him, and there is some need that he's asking Titus to come meet. Verse 13, do your best to speed uh, Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. So he is asking them to hurry them along because they have some mission. They're going to some unreached people or there is a need another place, uh, in another place that the church is going to give some aid to, some, some Christians in need. Uh, they're on some mission of some sort, right? So the apostle Paul makes this point again as he concludes his letter. He says, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. See, this is a reminder of our 
a crucial obligation relationship and personal character. He also commands, uh, commends the care of others to those in the church, and he tells them so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. I'm finishing up here, guys. So when there is an urgent need, we're going to stay focused on meeting that need. When God calls a Zenos or Apollos on mission to advance the gospel beyond our city, we're going to see, if at all possible, to make sure that they lack nothing. We've got a mission from, the, from our king to make disciples who make disciples. So we're going to commit to gospel community and to living out the gospel in, in the world together. And God has entrusted your leaders with the, the job of guarding that mission from getting derailed, derailed by heresy or by Christ-denying lovelessness. And see, here's my charge to you guys. It's not just our responsibility. We all have a part in this. You have a part in this. The elders equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So let's help each other grow and finish the race that God has called us to. He ends with 15. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Church family, may we all greet one another in love and kindness, especially those in the faith. Not just in here, but out there as well. I say this as often as I dismiss you all. Live sin. You may be the only Jesus that others will see. They won't come in here. You may be the only Jesus that they will see. And so as I close, may our church, may, may this church always be the one that says to all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and desire strength, to all who sin and need a savior, to all who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and whoever will come, this church open wide her doors and offers her welcome from Jesus Christ, the ally of his enemies, the defender of the guilty, the justifier of the inexcusable, the friend of sinners. Let's pray. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. -on -one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, and what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. And We would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.